Hello and welcome to Adrian Goldberg's talk show, the world's most eclectic podcast, bringing you amazing real-life stories, celebrity interviews, politics and investigations. Today we're going to hear from Michelle Gray and Gordon Woods about the child abuse scandal surrounding Celtic Boys Club, a youth football team based in Glasgow. Three men have been convicted of sexual offences relating to young boys at the club. They are Jim Torbett, Jim McCafferty and another man who we're not naming for legal reasons. A fourth man, Gerald King, who was once the chairman of the boys club, was also convicted of child sexual abuse. Michelle's brother Andrew was one of those abused by Torbett, whilst Gordon has now come forward to add his name to the dozens of victims of the abuse, which continued for more than three decades. His allegations are being investigated by Police Scotland. Now the pair have joined forces to call for an investigation by the UK government into how much Scotland's nine-in-a-row champions Glasgow Celtic knew about the abuse. Many of the best players at the boys' club went on to play professionally at Celtic, including the likes of Charlie Nicholas, Peter Grant, Joe Miller, Roy Aitken and Tommy Burns. The boys' club also used to train at Celtic's training ground Barrowfields, but the football club argues that the boys' club was a separate entity. That claim is about to be tested in a civil case in Glasgow, brought by lawyers acting for one of the survivors. Some listeners will find the details in this podcast upsetting, but it is a hugely important story. I spoke first to Michelle and asked her to tell me about her brother, who died before seeing Torbett brought to justice. Andrew was just the, the best wee brother any sister could ask for. He disclosed of the abuse that he suffered at the hands of Torbett in December 2016. Basically, just joined, after he joined um, the, the Celtic Boys Club, that's when the abuse started. And it started from, sorry, obviously from the age of 12 up until he was around 15 years of age. Thankfully, we got Torbett convicted of the horrific crimes against Andrew in November 2018. And we have been fighting really since then um, for this massive cover-up, which we believe happened at Celtic Boys Club, to be brought into the public domain um, and to get some sort of justice for the, the, the other victims and survivors. You say your brother was 12 when he was abused. How long did it take him to feel confident enough to declare what had happened to him? He was 40, Adrian, when he picked up the phone to the NSPCC and reported the abuse. Um, so nearly 30 years he had carried that for. Um, and, and, and once he spoke to us, to my mum and I about it, you know, he, he did say it was something that he planned to, to take to the grave. The reason that he felt the need to speak out was he had watched an Andy Woodward interview of the abuse that he had suffered at the hands of Barry Bunnell. And he said he, he just felt now is the time that I speak out and ensure no wee boy, or do all I can, sorry, to ensure no wee boy suffers what I suffered. Barry Bunnell is a convicted child abuser associated with Crew Alexandra Football Club. What impact, Michelle, do you think the abuse had on your brother? And do you know how long it continued for? The abuse, we believe, and, and Andrew, um, kind of, he didn't go into great detail, but from what he told us, the abuse um, carried on until he was about 15 and he um, left the boys' club and joined another um, football team. 
there's no mistake, Adrian, that it absolutely destroyed Andrew's life. Um, he found it really difficult to be in a relationship, just to hold down a, a job, to trust people. Um, he suffered terribly with his mental health. Um, you know, and, and we did question over the years, and, and certainly before my dad died as well, you know, we would have discussions and say, you know, why is, is Andrew acting sometimes the way that he would? But once we found out of what he'd suffered, it was just like a bit of the, the, the jigsaw just started to, to make sense. Yeah, I was going to ask that really, that when you knew about the abuse, did it help you make sense of things that you saw in Andrew's life, which maybe at the time you, you couldn't quite figure out? Without a shadow of a doubt, you know. Andrew would, there would be lots of violent outbursts from Andrew, um, you know, he would be one minute, you know, sitting quite happy or, or seem to be sitting quite happy. And the next minute he would fly into a rage, you know, and, and we could never understand that. Um, and, and he did have problems with gambling and, and some addiction problems as well. And, you know, it just breaks my heart now to, to know that this was his way of trying to deal with what he suffered as a child. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of guilt that I carry as his big sister. I feel that maybe he should have, we, I should have had a closer relationship for him to be able to tell me so that I could have tried to, to put a stop to it. And that's something that will live with me for the rest of my life as well, Adrian, because we were very, very close as children growing up. There's 15 months between Andrew and I. Um, so, yeah, it, it destroyed his life. And we should make clear, Michelle, that your brother's death wasn't related directly to the abuse that he suffered. But the tragedy of it is that he didn't live to see his abuser jailed. Yeah, that's that's another um, pain, painful um, reminder of, of what's happened for us. You know, Andrew disclosed in, as I say, December 2016. And within um, seven months, Andrew tried to take his life on three separate occasions. He just felt that it was a box that he had closed shut, that he'd had to open up again to give the police the evidence. And he was tormented with the flashbacks and the horrors of, of what happened to him. Um, we decided in July um, of, of 2017 that it might be best for him to, to try and get away from Glasgow and, and switch off. And he went to visit a, one of his best friends in, in Australia who'd emigrated out there plan was for Andrew to stay out there for three months and, and really just completely try and forget about the, the evidence he'd given to police. Sadly, on the 30th of, of September, Andrew um, dived into a swimming pool and he misjudged the depth and he broke his neck. Um, I travelled out to Australia immediately and um, was with him for 16 days before he passed. During those 16 days, he was in and out of consciousness, you know, and he did make it quite clear to me that if he didn't make it, I carried on this journey for him, um, not only just for him, but for all the other victims and survivors. Um, and, and that's something that I'm still trying to do today. You know, mum and I have not had the chance to grieve for Andrew properly because we, we fought really for for. The, the periods between his death up until the trial for his evidence to be used. Andrew had given six separate statements to police, which were very, very detailed. Um, 
there was another victim involved in, in our trial and without the bravery of that victim having taken a stand and being put through two days of pain, I can only describe that as for, for him, um, without him having done that and Andrew, Andrew's obviously evidence that, that was used from beyond the grave, um, we would never have got a conviction. Um, so it, for me, that's so powerful that that two men that, that, that didn't know one another um, and one was here and, and one has passed and they, we, we still managed to make sure that Torbett was, was convicted and is, is now behind bars for these horrific crimes that he, he, he did against children. And Gordon, you've now come forward to say that you were abused by Jim Torbett. I know you're writing a book about it called Being Put Through Hoops. What can you tell us about your experiences at Celtic Boys Club? When I first trialled for Celtic Boys Club, I was actually told at the end of the trial that I'd been unsuccessful, that I wasn't good enough to be accepted into the, the club. Within minutes of being told that, Jim Torbett approached me and told me to forget that and to come to training the following week and that he would he would speak to the coach who had told me I wasn't suitable. And I firmly believe that Torbett saw me as a target as early as that. And I became uh, Torbett's target even before I kicked the ball for Celtic Boys Club. And when was this, Gordon, and how old were you? I was 13 years of age. It would have been the late summer of 1967. And how did Torbett then seek to take advantage of you, Gordon? It started very early where Torbett um, got involved in quite a lot of my other problems of the experiencing in life. Um, I had problems at home and Torbett knew about those and we discussed it on many occasions. He made then a point of, after training, taking me home um, by in his car. And this continued for a few months before I had a particularly nasty experience at home and I was discussing that with Jim Torbett. I got very upset in the car and that was when Torbett abused. And how long did that abuse continue for, Gordon? Approximately 15 months. How would you say it's affected your life? It's a difficult question to answer because I don't know how my life would have unfolded without the abuse. I'll never know that. All I do know is that it had affected me in many ways that left me feeling guilty for decades, even to the point that the love that I should have been giving to my own two children and then subsequently my third child later in life, I was unable to give them the love that they should have got from their father. Um, there was times when because of the abuse, I would sit with my son or my daughters on my knee and it made me feel guilty and I had to remove them from that situation. For to me, to hug and hold and caress a child was a terrible thing. So it didn't just affect me, it affected my parents, it affected my siblings, but more importantly, it affected my own children and they have to live with that now. And it, by the sounds of it then, meant that there was some kind of emotional wall 
between you and your children as a result of this abuse? Oh, without a doubt. And the strange thing is, since I came forward in October of 2019, I have noticed a, a huge difference in the approach I make to my own daughter now. I've got a 10-year-old daughter at the moment. I'm a single father, so the only person she has the love from is myself. But I have noticed it recently. I've been able to open up to her more, um, and she deserves that as a child. We should say, Gordon, that your case has not been dealt with in court. These are allegations that you've made and that are now being investigated by Police Scotland. But you're supporting this petition, which is calling for an investigation by the UK government into what you believe is an historic cover-up by Celtic Football Club. Now, Celtic Football Club's official stance on this has been that Celtic Boys Club was a separate entity to Celtic Football Club. What's your reaction to that? It's absolute nonsense. From 1967, when I was there, I was very much a part of the Celtic family. Um, I, I trained at Barfield. On many occasions, I was in the company of Celtic football players, Celtic officials. Uh, I was in the company of Jock Steen on several occasions, Bob Kelly on several occasions. Jock Steen being the former great manager of Celtic Football Club. Who was Bob Kelly? Bob Kelly was the chairman. Uh, he later was knighted by the Queen and became Sir Bob Kelly. So in your experience, there was a direct connection between Celtic Boys Club and the football club. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And over the past few months, the evidence that has come to light really ridicules Celtic's stance. Um, the evidence that we have has not yet been um, looked at by a court of law. It will be looked at shortly. And Celtic's position on this is going to be ridiculed. There's no doubt of that. Michelle, what's your take on the involvement of Celtic Football Club with Celtic Boys Club? I completely agree with um, Gordon. You know, having looked through the, the, the information that we had, that mum um, and dad had kept over the years regarding, you know, the Celtic View, programmes, videos, photographs. You know, it's clear to see there was a link between the two. You know, Andrew played at Parkhead. My parents would go and watch him, you know, um, on the pitch there. It's it's really quite sad that they have denied, again, these brave men um, the recognition and respect that they deserve. You know, it's almost like they've, they're re-abusing them over again. You know, and, and I was going through some papers um, a few weeks ago. Andrew had contacted our local MSP, sorry, MP, um, after he disclosed. And the notes that, that was recorded during those meetings, you know, Andrew felt even back then in January, February of 2017, that at that point Celtic were starting to do all they could to try and distance themselves from the boys club. And Andrew, you know, yeah, he didn't live to, 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 to go through the trial or be here to see today what's happened, but he could tell very, very early on what was what was going on and he was disgusted by it. Why have so few people associated 
with Celtic Football Club as players and officials, in your view, come forward to take issue with the club over this? Well, I would say, um, you know, having looked through again and, and the information that we've got and the research that, that I've done the past few years, a lot of people have been very, very scared to speak out against the club. And having done what, what Mum and I have done, we have been abused online. We now have friends that walk by us in the street that have known us since we were children, or since I since I was a child. Um, and I've had my car targeted in several occasions over the last six, seven months. And if, they, if these people can do that to two women, a mother and a daughter, that are grieving for a much-loved brother, son, who suffered so much at the hands of Jim Torbett. If they can do that to us, then it scares me to think what, what they've potentially done over the years to silence others. So you've been targeted by Celtic fans who just take issue with you tarnishing the name of their club? Certainly online, I can confirm that. Yeah, from from the profiles and things that 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 these people make these horrific comments on, you know. And I've I have reported it to the police a couple of times, but they've told me they can't do anything about it. What about you, Gordon? Isn't it odd that people, when they hear about this abuse, that they haven't outright condemned it and and asked tough questions of the football club about its involvement? Yeah, it's a scenario that absolutely amazes me. Um, I can understand that every club has its element, whether it be Celtic, Rangers, Hibs, Hearts, wherever, every club has an element of support that the club would rather not have because they're disgraceful individuals. But what amazes me is on my social media platform where I'm telling my story, 95% of the people who follow me and discuss it with me are not Celtic supporters. The the comments that I get from Celtic supporters are generally abusive. And I can't understand why, because I firmly believe that the majority of Celtic supporters are genuine people who find the abuse of children abhorrent. I can't, I can't seem to be able to find them. They seem to distance themselves. And I firmly believe that they have a fear that this element of the club support that are vicious in their comments and are capable, it appears, of violence to support their club. I think even the genuine Celtic supporters stay behind the scenes because they don't want to be, they don't want to get involved in it. So by putting their heads above the parapet, they themselves might become a target? Maybe more so. Maybe they'll become a a stronger target because why would a Celtic supporter say that about his own club? This seems to be the mindset. I just can't understand it. I just can't understand why um, the morals of any human being can be dictated to by the club they support. It's just not normal. Yeah, um, you know, very early on um, after Torbett's conviction, um, when we started the campaign online, you know, I made it very, very clear in everything that I put out there that this was not about which colour of football top you pulled on or which 
football team we supported. This was about getting justice for wee boys that had suffered what they did. Um, from the very, very beginning, um, there has been a group of individuals um, associated as fans with the, with Celtic who made me out to be um, point scoring against the, the, the club, who's made out that I was a Rangers fan, who made who've called my mum um, not very nice names on, on um, social media. And it was it's something that, that we worked really, really hard on in the beginning. But there was some journalists here in Scotland that were enjoying putting out tweets, you know, and firing up Rangers fans and Celtic fans saying comments like, oh, it's beautiful to watch Rangers fans jumping up and down today at the convictions made at Celtic, um, sorry, at court in relation to Celtic coaches. That in itself is wrong. And Mum and I called out a few journalists for doing that. Needless to say, these journalists have never helped any one of us in this journey um, and, and, and written off of the, the abhorrent and horrific stuff that's went on at the club. I know enough about Glasgow, which is a city I have a great deal of affection for, to be aware of the sectarianism that sadly poisons life in the west of Scotland. And I'm also aware of the, the huge significance of both Celtic and Rangers to life in Glasgow. But I just cannot understand why anybody would put their love of a football club above basic, common, human decency and above the interests of innocent children who've been exploited and abused that that just disgusts me yeah i think it disgusts anybody with a moral compass would be disgusted by what happened at the celtic boys club but you know it happened at many clubs and many organizations not just football organizations but many but we we have the voice at the moment to highlight child abuse wherever it appeared, wherever it happened. Now, I'm quite sure the vast majority of Celtic supporters, if they heard that there had been children abused at their local school or their local church or their local, local anything, they would have been up in arms about it. But for some reason, they seem to just, they're prepared hold a tongue and say nothing. And the sad thing is that when when the, the court cases are finished, we firmly believe that each and every one of those Celtic supporters who have either stayed silent or have taken the decision to abuse the children who, who were abused themselves, they are going to be having to hold their heads in shame for a long, long time. Michelle, when Torbett was convicted and you'd fulfilled your pledge to your brother to pursue justice for him, how did that feel? It was a very emotional day. Um, we just spent two weeks in Glasgow High Court and, and heard some horrible stuff being said about Andrew. And my mum had to sit through that also. Immediately, you know, afterwards... I did expect an out, that there would have been an outpouring of support for our family, um, and there was, but there was also still the, the denial and, you know, um, Jim Torbett had nothing to do with the club. And through that, there was 
quite a number of people that contacted Mum and I anonymously through our social social media platforms to say, please continue this fight. We need our voices heard. And these are men that, you know, don't want to, to, to be public and be in the public domain because they've watched what's happened to two women that, as I say, have, you know, put their grief on hold um, and, and, and tried to do everything they can to, to get some sort of justice for um, a much-loved son and brother. Michelle, you help secure that conviction of Jim Torbett. Why is it so important for you now to persuade Celtic to acknowledge that there was a connection between the football club and Celtic Boys Club and to acknowledge that they have some kind of responsibility for what happened to your brother? It's important because it's the right thing to do, Adrian, you know, these men deserve it. Somebody like Gordon has waited nearly 50 years, you know, going over the information again that we've, we've, we've got. There was many people that reported Torbett and other, other um, coaches to not only Celtic but the police years ago. And quite frankly, nothing was done about it. One of the most devastating things for Mum and I were, was May 2019, last year, when we were informed that just prior to Andrew joining Celtic Boys Club, a number of parents had reported Torbett to the board of Celtic um, for his inappropriate behaviour. The board at the time said that they would investigate. They did so and they cleared Torbett and they said the claims were scurrilous and should they be brought up again, they would be buried forever. My brother joined just after that obviously at the age of 12 and for us that was absolutely heartbreaking because he could have been saved from this on so many occasions had those in authority whether it be within Strathclyde Police at the time whether it be Celtic Football Club or the Scottish FA had done the right thing and instead of putting the name and reputation of a football club first they should have put the well-being of a 12-year-old child before anything. And, and that for us is just, it's devastating, you know. It's, it's, it's put our lives on a different journey, you know, from, from the minute probably Andrew was first abused and the ripple effect started within our family um, of the behaviour that, that Andrew started to, to have. Um, and it's just heartbreaking. Gordon, why is it so important for you that Celtic should acknowledge this connection that you say existed between Celtic Football Club and Celtic Boys Club? You know, to quote Michelle, and it's strange, it is strange she used the term, it's the right thing to do. The reason I came forward after 50 years of silence, I didn't want to come forward. I was quite happy uh, to take what happened to me to the grave. The reason I did come forward was I had been reading reports of Celtic's denial, more so over the last few years. And it was a very chance conversation I had with my daughter where I'd had a report from her school that she was having a problem at school. And I discussed it with my 10-year-old. And I asked her why she had done what she'd done. And she said, Dad, I had to do the right thing. 
at that moment, I knew I was being taught a very valuable lesson by my daughter that I had to do the right thing too. I, I'd kept quiet for 50 years. And I've got to live with the guilt, even for Andrew Gray, that if I had spoken up 30 years ago, 20 years ago, I could have saved Andrew Gray from being abused. I kept my mouth shut because that's what I needed to do myself. But I will now live with the guilt because I didn't speak up 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. I could have saved other children from being abused. So if I've got to live with the guilt, Celtic Football Club have to live with the guilt also because they enabled they enabled the abuse of children and did nothing, as Michelle has said. They were given ample opportunity time and time again, but purely to keep the good name of Celtic Football Club clean, they denied all knowledge of abuse. It's scandalous. Michelle, did you want to pick up on what Gordon has said there and his sense of guilt in relation to your brother? I'm a bit emotionalised. Gordon and I have spoke a few times on the phone. I know for sure if Andrew was here today, he would say, Gordon, this is not something that you should be guilty about. Just like Andrew, you were a 12, 12-year-old wee boy that, that many could have stepped in to save and they failed. They failed every single one of you. Andrew knows as well that, or Andrew did know, you know, when he spoke to me about it, that if he had spoken out when it was happening, then maybe he could have prevented as well. Um, Torbett having gone on to, to to abuse other other boys. That's something we don't know. Um, and I think something that's quite clear in the conversations that Gordon and I have had, you know, Gordon's probably been one of the, the first victims of Torbett and Andrew was probably one of his last. Um, and for me, that's... It just speaks volumes over that time period. Um, where are all the other Andrews and all the other Gordons? My heart truly breaks for them. It really, do, it really does. You asked earlier, Andrew, sorry, Adrian, why some of the staff and players and officials at Celtic Football Club haven't come forward. Perhaps it's because they have the same element of guilt themselves that they should have come forward. 10, 20, 30 years ago. And if they had come forward, a lot of this would not have happened. Perhaps they share our guilt now. But if they do, can we plead with them, please come forward and assist the victims in getting the justice that we all deserve in all walks of life, not just football. Let's get this paedophilia stopped throughout the nation. And Michelle, it came to light, I think, after Jim Torbett's most recent conviction. He's been convicted twice now of a number of sexual offences against young children that Celtic Football Club had launched their own internal investigation into these allegations. What can you tell me about that? Yeah, um, we were informed in June last year that Celtic had started an investigation and inquiry into the allegations and of the abuse that had taken place at Celtic Boys Club two years prior, 
which meant then that that investigation had started in 2017 at some point. Not one of the victims has been contacted. I should say victims and survivors have been contacted by Celtic Football Club um, to establish um, you know, what, what, what actually went on. So if they haven't contacted any of the victims and survivors, um, I'm not sure that they can get a true picture of the investigation and know exactly what went on. Now, without having established that, how can they put in place the safeguarding um, to ensure that this tragedy never happens again? Michelle Gray and Gordon Woods. Now, I did make efforts to contact Celtic Football Club via email and phone, but I wasn't able to reach their press office. But after Jim Torbett's conviction in 2018, they issued a statement saying, allegations regarding abuse at Celtic Boys Club first emerged in the 1990s. Although Celtic Football Club is an entirely separate organisation, we have always taken these allegations extremely seriously because of our historic contacts with Celtic Boys Club. All investigations by the police and other inquiries were given our full support. We encouraged any individuals involved to report all information to the police so that matters could be investigated fully. Celtic Football Club continues to encourage any victim of abuse to report these crimes to the police. I'm Adrian Goldberg. Thank you very much indeed for listening. And don't forget, if you want to sponsor this podcast, well, we'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch. You can email goldbergradio at gmail.com. And in the meantime, please spread the word on social media and don't forget to subscribe. See you next time.